This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we have Elsa back on the podcast with us. We had Elsa on last fall in episode number 12 to talk about environmental education. I highly recommend listening to this episode with Elsa to hear in depth about the work she does to support and teach outdoor education for children. Today, we asked Elsa to come back on the podcast to talk about the one thing everyone dislikes and often fears when adventuring outdoors in Minnesota, ticks. So thanks for coming back on the podcast today, Elsa. Yeah, happy to be here. And a lot of people probably have listened to episode number 12, but for those that are new to Elsa and Eco Elsa, can you tell us a little bit about the type of work you do? Yeah, so I'm an environmental educator. I've worked for seven years in the field, mostly at nature centers and with the state, doing environmental education for kids and families, and then also for adult groups. And a couple of years ago, I realized I really loved the work I was doing, but I still was in seasonal work. So I was bouncing around the Midwest in different positions, different places. And I finally wanted to just like put down roots. So I moved back to the Twin Cities and I started my own environmental education business. Actually, first it got started as a YouTube channel and blog. Then I moved it over into a business. So now I do environmental ed programs with different community ed groups and groups around the Twin Cities, preschools, homeschool groups, stuff like that. So I really love doing this type of work and helping people get outdoors and find their thing, which is why I'm really excited to about today's topic that we'll be covering. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on and talk about it because I know it's a huge, huge fear that people kind of put in their minds and it even stops some people from going out and adventuring outdoors because they're just so fearful of the tick. Yep. It's coming for you. Armies of them. <laughs> yeah. I even close to home, I was out on a walk in the woods, just like five minutes away from my house. And I came back with two ticks on my shoes. I mean, they're everywhere. So what, what is a tick? So a tick is technically an arachnid. They have eight legs. Um, they actually are in the order Ixodida. So that's with like the uh, mites and stuff because they are a little bloodsucker. They're an external parasite. They attach to hosts. Uh, we have ticks on the planet, wide variety of all locations, I think other than Antarctica and you know, extreme cold locations. Uh, they are found on mammals, birds, reptiles, and some amphibians. They have eight legs. I mean, they're so tiny. I, 
I guess that makes sense. A lot of bugs have eight legs, but they're like the teeniest little things. Yep. Eight tiny little legs that help them slowly creep up their host to try and find a spot to latch. Uh, luckily in Minnesota, we only have about 13 tick species. And I need to double check my source, but it sounds like we only have ticks that are found on something like um, 125 different species in Minnesota. And that's everything from, again, reptiles and amphibians up to deer and humans and birds. Yeah. Well, and dogs. Yep. And dogs, of course, especially. <laughs> yeah. Especially dogs, but especially humans too. So yeah. why are ticks bad for humans? Like they're blood sucking, but why is that a fear for us? So the reason why most people are afraid of ticks is because they are what's called a vector for a disease. So what it means is they are the little transport hub that transports diseases and blood from one animal to another. So the three ticks in uh, Minnesota that we are most known for having causing diseases in humans are the deer tick, of course, also called the black-legged tick, the wood tick, otherwise known as the American dog tick, and our newcomer, the lone star tick. And so these three ticks account for the vast majority of vector-borne diseases based on ticks in Minnesota. Humans do occasionally come across other tick species, but it's only when you come across, say, an animal you normally wouldn't be touching and you get one of its ticks on you. Very, very rare. Even the Lone Star tick is super rare in Minnesota right now. Everyone's really afraid of ticks, but it is possible to go years without getting them and still be active outdoors. I got my first tick on me last week in like two years, and it was kind of my fault because I wasn't following all the best protocols for keeping them off. So we can go more about that later too. But uh, these three tick species account for quite a few diseases here in Minnesota. They are Lyme disease, uh, human anaplasmosis, uh, babesos. The other ones that are a little bit less common, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, tularema, and the one I can't pronounce, it's icorolecrolosis. And I'll give you guys all these links to the different diseases and stuff. That way people are familiar. But all of them tend to have in common that they are causing headaches, uh, fevers, maybe chills, uh, fatigue, or muscle cramping. They all are very similar because a lot of them are bacteria-based diseases. So they're treated with antibiotics. So the big thing is just noticing whether or not you have a tick on you. And then if you experience symptoms, contacting your doctor. So is it common for someone to get those symptoms right after that tick comes on them? Or it usually takes some time? I'm not a medical professional, yeah. but from what I've seen, it usually takes a little bit of time. In fact, the big thing that we're going to be talking about today is preventing it. So that way people aren't afraid to go outdoors because most of these diseases take 24 to 48 hours to actually go from the tick to its host. So if you can find the tick in the first hour after you've been hiking, there's a really good chance you've cut down your chances of actually getting a disease. But it's just good to keep aware of this possible symptoms and to talk to your doctor. Yeah. And like prevention is huge and checking yourself. I mean, I know every time Andy and I go out adventuring, we kind of do a tick check before we get in the car, before we get in our tent, just so we're not transferring them from one place to another. And it's easy to like flick those little buggers off you but it's just the process of looking for them. Um, so what other ways can we prevent ticks other than doing a tick check on our own body? Well, there is quite a few things you can do for preventing. So the big thing is tucking in your clothes. 
So I have found with my own experience that I really cut down the number of ticks I even find on me. When I tuck my pants into my socks and look like the dork hiking through the woods, and then when I tuck my shirt into my pants, an additional step to help uh, repel them from getting on you in the first place is of course to wear DEET, uh, maybe even put Perenifrin on your clothes. Um, as well as I had, a, I can't remember who it was, but one of the facilities I worked at, there was a guy who would put uh, the dog tick collars on his ankles when he was hiking. That way he wasn't wearing a lot of DEET or permethrin. And that seemed to work for him. But he also was still tucking in his pants and his shirt. Yeah, the tucking in thing that we always do that too. And as dorky as it looks... It really is helpful. <laughs> yeah. So last week I was helping my parents remove buckthorn. I was wearing pants and a shirt and it was really, really hot. I had everything tucked in. And at some point while I was pulling buckthorn, I untucked my shirt. And I'm pretty sure that's when the tick got on me since I found it on my abdomen. And I was like, oh, I had a great streak going though. I had two years, two years without a single tick. Yeah. And how about with working with kids? Have you ever, when you've been out on your nature programs with kids, have you ever had ticks come on to a large group of children? Not that I've noticed, but usually most people find them when they get home because ticks don't want to be out in the exposed. They're not going to really latch onto like your arm out in the open. They want to find a warm, dark place on your body. So that's going be usually under clothes, maybe around your armpit, behind your ear. So that's why usually we don't experience them when we're on hikes of kids. Maybe a kid will see one crawling on another kid and then you have to deal with the fun freak out of, hey, it's a tick. It's not going to kill us. We just got to remove it and flick it away. Goodbye, tick. Um, so usually it's mostly telling parents at the end of a hike, like, hey, we were hiking in the woods today. We tried to stay on the trail, but make sure you check your kid for ticks when you get home. You know, don't wait until tomorrow. Do it as soon as you get home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can stay on the trail and that's obviously the safest choice to do to be staying on the trail, but are there areas outdoors where ticks are going to be more prevalent than others? Yeah. So especially in May and September, you're going to have a lot more ticks uh, along uh, deer paths, along long grass, along the edge of trails and on the edge of the forest. They're in these locations because ticks, like many other parasites, use uh, smell as one of the ways to find their host. So they're going to be camping on these spots where they know there's a lot of traffic because there's a lot of carbon dioxide, there's a lot of smells, sweat, and they're going to be camping out there to try and latch onto something as it brushes by. So May and September especially is a good point to make sure you're avoiding deer trails. And so when I'm saying a deer trail, I'm saying like an actual like deer trail, those narrow, windy, little tiny trails that a lot of deer and animal species will be using because there's likely to be ticks there laying in wait to pick up whoever walks by. I mean, if you are super, super worried about ticks, uh, it does make things like backpacking harder. But like I said, as long as you are tucking everything in, the tick's not going to be able to get on you until it gets higher up on your body. Uh, something I also forgot to mention is I have super long hair. Like I have over two feet long of hair. When I go outdoors hiking, my hair is usually in a braid or a bun or a ponytail, whatever I can do so that my hair isn't laying down for all the ticks to use it like Rapunzel to climb up to my head. <laughs> like Rapunzel. <laughs> yes. Well, because that's what they do. Uh, there's a common myth from a lot of people that ticks are laying in wait above trees to jump down onto you. And I'm pretty sure that's been disproven quite a few times. But, you know, once again, to say it, ticks are not jumping out of trees onto you. They might climb up higher up on a branch, a low-laying tree or grasses. But most tick hosts are things like deer, rats, 
bunnies, things that are lower to the ground. So it doesn't do them any benefit to do aerial pursuit and jump out of the tree to come and get you. So, I mean, having long hair, you should just take precautions to put it back. But is there parts of your body that you might find a tick to be more likely than another? Like, is it more likely they're going to latch to my leg versus my arm? Ticks don't want to do a lot of work. They don't want to get behind your ear. They get behind your ear because it's a good spot. They want to latch on lower on your body as possible. So that's why usually we find them a lot on our legs or our torso. They also need to find a good location where they can get a lot of blood. So they're looking for those, those good vein spots, if you will. So that's why it's like under the armpit or it's on the inner part of your thighs or it's on your stomach, torso region where I've found them. Uh, they aren't necessarily going to be like, hey, let me attach on your spine on your back. I'm sure it's happened before, but it's not often. Unfortunately, especially for a lot of gentlemen, they seem to like the crotch region. So that's why tucking your pants in is a very good thing to do. Prevent and tuck your pants in. Yeah, I remember one time I saw some girls out hiking with shorts and they were in flip-flops and they did have loads of ticks around their ankles. I mean, just looking at what they were wearing was one of the clear reasons as to why they were getting all these ticks on them. They were out hiking in sandals, flip-flops. I know it's hard. It's really hot in the summer. That was probably the hardest thing to get used to when I started working for government agencies is most of them require us to wear pants and tuck them. It gets really hot, especially July, but it's, it's a big safety thing. That's why they do it. So either avoid trails, you know, stay on the trails that are nice and paved and wide. If you're going to be wearing shorts and flip-flops and stuff, if you are really super worried about ticks, like I said, it's still very low for a lot of people getting the diseases. I'm trying to remember, I think deer ticks, it's something like, like one in three deer ticks carry Lyme disease. And that's for like adult deer ticks. Since usually if it's a larval tick, it's not likely to have had a blood meal yet, which means it hasn't picked up Lyme disease or something else from another host yet. Those are so teeny tiny. If you've ever had one attached to you, it's likely you've never found it. Yeah. Yeah. And so what should we be looking for on our bodies? Like if we do, if we are starting to get like a rash or something, what exactly does that look like? Well, if you're starting to get a rash, usually the tick is long gone by then. At least from what I've seen, I, my brother got Lyme disease. He got, actually had the bullseye when we were growing up and they didn't notice the bullseye until the tick was already gone. He had a, like the little itchy bite, but we figured, Hey, it's a mosquito or Hey, it's a deer fly. And then I think it was a, maybe a few days later, the bullseye started showing up and then we're like, Oh, we need to get you to the doctor, get you some antibiotics because it's caused by a bacteria. It's the bacteria in the skin that's causing that, that, that bullseye shape. So what you're looking for as far as like checking for ticks is you're looking for obviously like the adult ticks, wood ticks and lone star ticks are a lot easier to see because they're larger, but deer ticks are super tiny. Like they're like top of a pinhead tiny. So you're usually looking for, hey, I didn't notice I had a freckle there before. It's also making sure you're checking, like I said, immediately after you get out of the woods. My routine in the summer when I've been out in the woods, especially if I've been off trail, is get home, get in the shower, check myself everywhere, hair, head. And then I'd have either when I was growing up, I had my parents check my back and check my hair, or now I have Andrew check my back, check my hair. And that's because even if I can see everything, I can't see on my back if all of a sudden there's a freckle I didn't notice or in my hair. I can feel my fingers through my hair and find wood ticks or maybe even a larger deer tick. But if there's a teeny tiny little nymph tick in my hair, I'm not necessarily going to feel it. So that's why it's important to have a tick checking buddy 
to help you with some of that stuff. Oh yeah, totally. That's huge. Cause I, yeah, when I have found them on myself, I haven't necessarily felt them crawling. Like it's not going to feel like a spider crawling up your arm or up your back. I say it depends on the location. Cause I've woken up in the middle of the night when I was in college and I, this was again, one of those Elsa was at fault because I didn't check myself before bed, but I hadn't only been walking between classes on the trails. I hadn't, you know, been off excursion. And I woke up in the middle of the night to feeling something crawling on my arm. And so I flicked on my light and it was a tick. And so then I had to wake up my roommate, Jessica, and be like, hey, can you check my head for ticks? (laughs) Please. I'm sorry. I brought the infestation into our uh, dorm. (laughs) Get them out quick. Yeah. Well, I'm sure she appreciated you waking her up in the middle of the night rather than having them disperse throughout the room. Yeah. She wasn't too happy though, because I had top bunk. So... (laughs) they're crawling down yeah (laughs) so we kind of talked about like tucking your clothes in tucking your pants into your socks wearing pomethrin is there any other ways that are that come to mind that people can be doing to prevent these nasty things as far as like if you have your own yard yard maintenance type stuff ticks do tend to like longer grasses so if you keep the grasses near the house shorter they'll help keep them away from that area as well as um, making sure like the edges of your trail are pretty neat. If you have trails, trying to keep that long grass from hanging down over the edges of the trail. Um, But honestly, the big one for like keeping them out of your yard is not having deer. So don't feed deer in your yard if you don't want to bring ticks. Not all deer carry ticks. That's also a common myth is if you have deer, you have deer ticks. Not all deer have them. But keeping the deer out of your yard is a good way of keeping the ticks out of your yard as well. As well as lastly, a little less known one is making sure uh, you have a good healthy population of predators in your area. So this means owls, this means snakes, this means turkeys, because all of these animals are either feeding directly on ticks or they're feeding on animals that carry the young larval nymph stages of ticks, which if those get eaten, then they aren't going to have as many adults in your area healthy population control. So this doesn't mean using road inside. It means, hey, there's a dead tree over there kind of hauled out. Let's leave that for the owls to enjoy so that they eat the mice for us. And hey, there's a big rat eating snake in the yard. Maybe it's a bull snake. Maybe it's a fox snake. Let's leave it alone. Let it be a part of our yard because it's eating ticks for us. But especially things like turkeys. And then also if you wanted to get chickens, they love eating ticks. They will go through the grass, like snipping them off the grasses. Because think about it. There's this little tick waving its little arms, standing on the end of a leaf or a piece of grass, trying to grab onto something as it comes by. And the chicken looks at that and goes, mmm, nummy, and eats it. (laughs) Wow, I didn't know that. I wouldn't even think that like a chicken would be looking for a tick or be able to see a tick. A lot of chickens, you know, contrary to what a lot of people like, these are completely vegan eggs or things like that and it's like well chickens eat a lot of insects and they'll they'll eat rodents they will eat snakes and frogs and things if they can get a hold of them chicken know they are little tiny dinosaurs they know it at their heart and they are going after those things (laughs) so go get some chickens in your yard people if you really are like gung-ho about ticks and getting rid of ticks chickens or even just wild turkeys letting them come through your yard those are big things yeah the circle of life everyone has a special job to do in the ecosystem and thank goodness for chickens cool that goes without saying i know ticks get a huge bad rap but all they are is just another parasite species 
they aren't causing these diseases. They're just picking them up from one host and bringing it to the next. And they do supply a niche in the ecosystem themselves. Part of the reason why, and when I was an actualist, I did a huge big presentation on uh, parasite and pest species that I did throughout the summer to help educate people on why we have these things. Because, oh, why don't we just kill all the mosquitoes? Or why don't we kill all the ticks? The problem is ticks evolved to fill a niche in an ecosystem. And if ticks hadn't evolved, something else would have. If I remember right, ticks actually go all the way back to the Cretaceous period. So some of our tick species evolved from ticks that fed on dinosaurs, which is kind of cool. But they fill this niche in the ecosystem by feeding blood. And usually the signs of a healthy ecosystem is if you do have a stable, not out of control pest population. I'm trying to remember what it is, but I think one of the only parasites on the planet that is on the endangered species uh, list is actually a tick and it's found on some species of endangered mammal, like a little rodent type thing. I'd have to double check that and I could send it over to you with the rest of the links, but it's kind of cool that, hey, there's a parasite that's on the endangered species list because its mammal is endangered. So just fun facts like that. But as I was talking, going back to the main point is they fulfill this niche in the ecosystem. And the only reason why they're feeding on us for blood is because they need the blood to uh, go through their metamorphous life stage changes. So larval ticks come out of the egg. They need blood so that they be can become a nymph tick and a nymph tick needs blood so that it can become an adult. And then the female tick needs blood so that she has enough nutrients to lay eggs. It's what it is, people. So the ticks are here. We'll never get rid of all of them, but there are things that you can do to prevent them. And then also to make sure you properly remove them so you don't pick up the diseases from them. Yeah. And like, it just makes me wonder, like, why do people, why are they so scared of ticks? Because so many bugs do come on people. It probably is because it does carry a disease on us. But like there's spiders, there's all these types of bugs that can be creeping and crawling on us. But it's probably because they are disease carrying that is scaring so many humans out there. Yeah, it's one of those things that's kind of ingrained, kind of like mosquitoes and spiders. It's something that crawls, it could potentially be dangerous. That's why you kind of have like an aversion from it. But I mean, thing to keep in mind, if you go outdoors in nature, you're more likely to get bit by mosquitoes than you are ticks. And mosquitoes can be vectors for diseases as well. The only thing is they don't have like a two year life cycle like a tick does. So you're not likely to find a mosquito that bit someone last summer, picked up a disease and bit you now. It's a little bit shorter time frame versus the tick could pick up a disease. Let's see, it's 2020. A larval tick could have hatched in 2018, picked up a disease, and now it's an adult in the spring and it's looking for a blood meal so that it can go lay some eggs. That's that's pretty gross when you think about it. Like <laughs> the, the period that it lasts that long. But it's not the tick's fault. It's just bacteria, pathogens live in animals' blood and the tick needs the blood to live. So it's not like, hey, you, I'm going to give you a disease. Come here. <laughs> yeah, all just the, the circle of life. So just prevention and checking yourself, and you should be good to go out and adventure. Yeah. And then, of course, the big thing is if you do find them on you is making sure you're properly taking them off. And so the very big thing from the Minnesota Health Department, as well as the Minnesota DNR, is making sure you properly remove them. This doesn't mean lighting them uh, lighter. I've had people say to use like uh, rubbing alcohol to get them to delatch. It's never worked for me. And what the Minnesota Health Department recommends is actually grabbing them at the head or in front of the head and pulling them straight out with the tweezers. You do not want to squeeze the abdomen because that's more likely to cause the tick to inject 
uh, liquids into your bloodstream that could possibly contain that bacteria or pathogen, as well as that's why you don't light them on fire, things like that too. So grabbing them with a tweezer is the best. The very, very best. Grab them at the head and pull them straight out. The sooner the better, but that's why, you know, if you're going camping, if you're going to be spending like a whole week out in nature, you're not really going to be showering, make sure you're checking. And before you freak out and rip it off, grab the tweezers, pull it straight out at the head. It's not going to be a fun trip if all of a sudden you get a bullseye halfway through it. Yeah, definitely not. Well, I've definitely um, burnt them before. (laughs) I know a lot of people have, and I've definitely, if I've been out in the field and I find one, I will try and pinch them with my nail to try and pull them out because I'm like, oh, I forgot the first aid kit. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. That's of course, if I'm out by myself, if I'm out with a group, I always have my kit all ready to go, which includes tweezers. (laughs) Yes best practices when you're with a group when you're solo it's another question right (laughs) yeah you're more focused on making sure you have binoculars and which trail do I want to go to to look for birds or things like that yes so is there anything about ticks that people should really know um I did touch a little bit on this I'm not a medical professional and the big thing when it comes to ticks is if you've had a tick latch onto you and you're worried call your doctor, ask them what they think. Uh, Make sure you know how to properly identify ticks. We didn't go over this in the beginning, but the three main ticks in Minnesota that you can find are the deer tick or black-legged tick. The females will have, again, the black legs, but then they'll have an orange or reddish uh, abdomen behind their dark head plate. Uh, Males are gonna just be dark all over. For the lone star tick, which very, very unlikely you're ever gonna come across, the female is all brown with a white or yellow spot in the middle of her abdomen. And then the male will have kind of uh, some little bit of striping on the edge. Now the easiest one to identify is the wood ticks, and this is kind of fun. The female wood tick has a white lace necklace around her head on her abdomen, and the male wood ticks have white suspenders, so two white stripes going down their back. So it's, it's interesting markings, but it's kind of cool. Lace, necklace, white suspenders. And those are pretty easy to identify. You don't need to like take a magnifying glass up to it. No, uh, the ones that are harder to identify are the deer ticks or larval lymph ticks. Those are so tiny. You know, I said deer tick are like the size of like pinhead. Then larval ticks are half that size, nymphs and larval. And they're going to be a variety of dark brown to light brown. So those are going to be harder to identify. So if you did find a nymph or a larval tick on you, you're probably better off calling your doctor to be like, hey, what do we want to do? Do we want to take some precautions or do we want to wait and see if I have any symptoms? And the problem is a lot of these symptoms, like I said, uh, other than the rash, the bullseye, which is like a dead giveaway, their headaches, their chills, their fevers. So unfortunately with our world that we're in right now with COVID as well as it's spring, people have allergies. It does make it a little hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause you don't, you don't know exactly what it could be. <laughs> everything going on. Yeah, but your doctor's gonna know better than I will and you will know your body better. So just make sure you're paying attention and you talk to them. Oh yeah, and I'd love to talk about um, St. Croix State Park. I'm guessing a lot of people have been out to St. Croix State Park and that is a huge popular place for ticks. I know last summer I was out there and there was probably 15 ticks on me at one point, just flicking them off. And I was doing everything that I could to prevent myself from getting ticks. Clothes tucked in, had permethrin on my clothes, but still loads of ticks. Do you know, is there a reason as to why St. Croix State Park is so infested? 
I don't know why it is, but it is definitely a hot spot. If you look on the different tick maps put out by the DNR, the Minnesota Health Department, you'll see that it is a hot zone. Um, it might be just because it's the right humidity habitat for them. There is a large population of deer and bears there, so that might help uh, provide them with enough year-round large hosts other than humans. But I actually have a fun tick horror story from there. So this was right when I was just getting started as a naturalist. I was out there camping and we went on a night hike. And you know, it's a beautiful night, it's super cold. I can see my breath, so we're not super worried about ticks. And then all of a sudden at some point I looked down and there must've been like 50 ticks crawling up my leg. And then there was the moment when I realized I hadn't tucked my pants. So there was 50 ticks that I could see crawling up my pants. And there was probably just as many underneath crawling up my pants. And it was immediately a dash back to the campsite, into the bathroom, stripping down everything and pulling them off. We had a fun joking name for it. It was May 2015. I remember. Yeah, the great tick invasion, the great tick infestation. And after that day, I have always, always tucked my pants. Although last week I didn't tuck my shirt. So I guess I'll remember that from now on too. Even as hot as it gets, just have to just have to work through it. But yeah, I, I always tuck my pants now because I'm like, there is, nope, we're never doing that again. That was almost like a traumatic type thing with that many ticks. But I didn't have any latch on to me, surprisingly enough. And I didn't get Lyme disease or anything from that. And most of them were wood ticks. There was a couple deer ticks we found. But at the end of the day, even after having probably close to 100 ticks on me. I didn't get bit. I didn't get anything. So that's something to keep in mind. Your chances of getting these diseases are super, super low. Most of the diseases are treatable. There is some uh, conflict between some researchers and some people who have experienced Lyme disease about whether or not Lyme disease goes away, the symptoms, how bad they are. So just keep in mind, there is still further research being done on that and some of the other diseases. But for the most part, what we have seen from studies and research is that the diseases can be treated with antibiotics if caught soon enough. And that usually there isn't for most people any really long-term health effects. So super, super slim numbers chances here. You have a better chance of probably winning the lottery. Yeah. Or seeing a bear at St. Croix State Park. That's so true. That's a huge hotspot for bears. That's really cool. So if you have ticks on you, run back to the bathroom and flick them all off. Do you recommend flushing them down the toilet? I always do if I'm indoors. If I'm out in nature, sometimes I'll flick them. Sometimes I'll make sure they're dead, you know. Everyone seems to like birding ticks, and I'm not necessarily saying kill all the ticks because, like I said, they provide a place in the ecosystem. But if I have a lot that seem to just be crawling on my pants and being real persistent, I'll take them with my nails and I'll actually like twist their head and their abdomen to pop them off. Twist them. All right. <laughs> I mean, like I said, if I'm home, they're going in the toilet. Like, I'm not going to flick them outside right outside my house to wait for my dog or something to get on them. Like, yeah, yeah. If they're in the house, they're done for. For sure. Yeah. I think I have one other thing I forgot to mention, because this is the other reason why people are super, super afraid of ticks. Have you heard about the Lone Star Tick in Northern Minnesota that's making people allergic to meat? No. Yeah. So this is a new development. Uh, when I first got started out and I got really interested in parasite species and I made this program, this wasn't quite an issue yet that was getting like a lot of attention, but now it is because we've had a few more people get it. So what it is, 
is it is called the alpha-gal syndrome and it's caused by the alpha-gal sugar molecule. And what happens is, is the lone star tick is the one that's most notably known for carrying this, is when they're feeding on their host, they'll release this alpha-gal uh, molecule into its host. And this sugar causes a reaction in the immune system that causes the immune system to now be allergic to meat. So this is like super rare. Like I said, this Lone Star ticket is very rarely found here in Minnesota. And even then, you know, it's rare that you'd get this, but it is a possibility. So something to keep in mind when you're outdoors is deer tick, Lone Star tick, probably call your doctor if you have one that latched onto you and get it off as soon as possible. Baggy it maybe, bring it to your doctor. Wow. Yeah. Haven't heard of that one. That's quite the interesting fact. I hope I never get it because unfortunately, as much as I do try to cut back on meat, I do like eating it. And I also find it very ironic that probably other than like the farm zone of Minnesota, northern Minnesota is probably most known for eating a lot of meat. And that's, of course, where the Lone Star Tick is camped out. Yeah. So it's a forceful way to be a vegetarian. But hey, if you're trying to be a vegetarian, maybe it's not such a bad thing. I'll pass. I'd rather try and use my own willpower. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree there. I I love meat too much. Crazy things that can happen. That was one of those fun facts I wanted to make sure I told you about today. But yeah, I think that pretty much sums up ticks. But if anyone has any further questions about ticks, things that they'd like to know, or maybe they're curious about leeches or mosquitoes, I have an entire program on parasites that I'm hopefully going to be doing as an online presentation soon. Definitely check out EcoElsa. You can check out our website, www.ecoelsa.com, as well as we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, and of course, YouTube. So hopefully I'll be having some YouTube videos coming out more on parasite and pest species uh, in the future. If you're interested, of course, hit me up and you can email me at EcoElsaLLC at gmail.com if you have more questions too. Perfect. Yeah. And I know you have been doing a handful of online stuff, especially with the pandemic our world has been navigating the past few months. What has that been like? I mean, luckily for you, a lot of your stuff was online with your YouTube videos and your website, but you were offering so many in-person classes. How has that changed for you? It's been an interesting two years. I've been uh, working to get an actual like merchant account set up on my website so I can do programs through it. So I went from an online business trying to be an in-person program classes business to now I'm going back online. I am still doing some uh, in-person classes at half capacity. I'm still talking with, of course, the different park groups and groups I partner with to see what's possible, how we want to do safety. Luckily, I need to read it still. The uh, CDC just came out with, I think it was the CDC or maybe it was the health department, just came out with best recommendations for schools and summer camps. So I'll be taking a look at all those rules and adapting equalsa programs to fit them. But the big thing I'm noticing and that I'm working with groups is we are, of course, cutting down the, the number of people in classes. We're encouraging use of masks. We're creating programs where everyone's six feet apart. And we're just minimizing contact and cleaning materials whenever and as much as possible. So it's going to be interesting adapting, but we still want to be here helping people get outdoors, whether it's through online, helping you virtually learn the things on YouTube or with a paid class to help you and your kids get outdoors or learning about nature in some way, or taking these safety precautions to do stuff in person. Because, you know, speaking as a scientist, what we've seen from the research and the things that are coming out, that COVID is not going to magically disappear. This is going to probably be our summer. And maybe it might be next summer. It just depends on treatment and if they get a vaccine out before that. So it's 
been interesting. It's a good learning experience, but as the saying goes, the animal that adapts survives, the animal that doesn't dies. So here's to adapting. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, we just, we've all had to adapt in this world. And yeah, like as a teacher myself, keeping keeping kids six feet apart. I mean, luckily a lot of your programs are aimed towards elementary kids more so. So that'll be a little easier. I can't imagine what that's going to be like for me in the fall if this is still what we're living in. Yeah. Keeping my preschoolers six feet apart. I say my mom works at a preschool where they've been doing, you know, open for the emergency workers and stuff. So I know six feet apart for preschoolers is pretty much almost impossible. Uh, We will see how we adapt to make things work. Maybe if kids, you know, once again, kids learn it at home, they'll learn it better in the classroom too. But yeah, it's just going to be about adapting and making it work. And hopefully we'll all come out here on the other side and be able to have some things at least go back to more normal. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, luckily for you, like with doing the camps, you're going to be outside with them the whole time. So keeping them like six feet apart might be a little bit easier. And that's super cool to know that you're still able to do these camps just on some higher regulations and safety rules. Like I said, I still have to check out the liability, make sure I'm being safe, make sure I'm keeping the kids and the families safe, as we still don't know the full effects of COVID. And there's been more research coming out to show that while we didn't think kids were affected at first, a small number are experiencing some very extreme results. So I don't want anyone to be unsafe in my camp. So I've always been a safety freak. If you've watched anything on YouTube, you know that I always talk about safety whenever I'm doing anything. So I'll continue keeping that going forward with anything. And if we have to do all our classes virtually, I will be working my butt off to make sure I can get as many of my classes in a virtual way so that you guys can do them at home or in your own house. Awesome. And yeah, people should definitely check Equalsa out and start following her Facebook page. She is super fun and entertaining to watch on her hikes that she does sometimes, her bird watching she does sometimes, full of good information. I learn something every time I watch. Oh, thanks, Sarah. (laughs) So is there anything else? Any upcoming giveaways? We just ended our big Earth Day giveaway. So if you do follow us on anything, make sure you check that out because we still have a few prizes that need to be claimed by people. Did our water bottle get claimed yet? Yep, it did get claimed. Uh, My mother-in-law is the one who won it because she was super active on Instagram. So I was like, hey, Liz, you want a water bottle? And she was watching even. I don't don't know if you saw that live video, but we were giving stuff away and Liz won something. And so Andrew's like, oh, we don't have to give my mom that. And she texted him because she was watching the video. And she's like, "Uh, excuse me, that's my water bottle. I want it fair and square. It was a giveaway. (laughs) She, you know, didn't grab me on purpose, grabbed me out of the bucket with all the other names. That's great. As far as anything else, I am working with some uh, groups, uh, some groups that I'm partnering with, and we might be doing some giveaways for things like binocular in the future. So I still am working on some of that. So keep that in mind. If you want to get a new pair of binoculars that maybe you want to get in on that giveaway. So you might want to go and subscribe to Equals on YouTube. But as far as that, usually summers, I take giveaways off. I'll probably start doing the giveaway up again, maybe in August. I'm working on a lot of art for Eco Elsa. Um, I've always been a big thing with nature and stuff. And now I'm selling a lot of that on Etsy too, especially as we're adapting to this new world, got to keep the business going. So if you want some really cool uh, Minnesota or nature themed art, maybe I'm working on some Wisconsin art pieces right now, as well as I just got done with some Jane Goodall art, uh, make sure to head on over to the Eco Elsa Etsy store 
store and check that out. If you have any suggestions for people you'd like us to do in the future for artwork, places in Wisconsin, Minnesota, or other states, just, you know, like I said, email us or comment on stuff like, hey, I really like that Starry Night, Minnesota. Are you going to make a Starry Night uh, Montana or California? You know, just let us know. We're working on it as quickly as I can with all the other things that I'm juggling. Yeah, you got a lot going on. And when you say the art, is this like um, something you're doing digitally or is it painting? What kind of art is this? Right now it's digital art. Um, I'm too, you know, I'm hoping at some point what I'll be able to do is when my down season is more quiet in the winter, I can sell more paintings and things. Um, but during the summer, it's my busy season. So I'm selling only digital art. And what it is, is I have a, a production partner I work with and you can be like, Hey, I really like that painting and you order it. And I have a group that will ship it out to you as a matte print or maybe on a mug or maybe a sticker. Um, so that's all set up on Etsy. So I'm doing the painting. I'm just making sure the orders are getting out in time and my production group is doing all the printing. Awesome. So support a local artist too. Yeah, of course. And he even says that on their website, you know, we're making art to help support people get outdoors and to help inspire you to get outdoors with all the beautiful paintings of uh, Northern Lights and galaxies and stuff. But also 20% of our profits from the art store are actually going to be donated back to a nonprofit that our Equals community picks at the end of the year. So we're starting that process right now. People are submitting which nonprofits they're interested in. And then we're going to have a big voting battle come August for which group do we want to have all the donations go to for this year. And so then I'll make sure to donate it to that group on Giving Tuesday and no November. Try to remember when Giving Tuesday is. I think it's I think it's November. It's like before Black Friday. So we'll pick that group then. And then that means through all the holidays with whatever shopping you guys are doing, you know then what nonprofit all that money's going to. As well as if it does end up being a Minnesota nonprofit, we give it on Giving Tuesday. That means it gets doubled. That's a super good idea though, like giving back to and like you are just such a good person at like planning far ahead and like you have this like great vision for your business. You're so inspiring every time I hear you. Thanks, Sarah. That really means a lot. Um, No, it, it was really important to me because even though I'm doing environmental education, I'm trying to get people outdoors, I'm trying to make the environment a better place. There is an environmental cost to making and shipping these products. And I wanted to make sure I was offsetting that cost. So I looked in and I did the math like, okay, what, what is the environmental cost of, you know, even if I'm doing eco-friendly products, I'm trying really hard to get eco-friendly t-shirts that are sustainable materials and sustainably printed. Still working on that. We haven't gotten quite the quality that we want yet. But even with a product like that, there's going to be the environmental cost of shipping those materials, of making those materials, even if they are made in a sustainable way, and then also shipping the product to the customer. Plus, if it has any kind of microfibers that get back into the environment, there's that environmental cost. So we did the math and we decided 20% is probably enough to offset the cost of these environmental things. Plus, it's not going to an environmental nonprofit. So some of the groups that we've had submitted have been the Jane Goodall Institute. Um, someone wants us to donate to rainforest in South America to offset uh, deforestation there. And then another group wanted it donated to Australia for the fire relief. So we will see cool that they're going worldwide. They're, they're going worldwide. So it hasn't been just Minnesota. Um, I'm trying to remember, there was like one nature center that was submitted for Minnesota. 
And it wasn't one that I'm really familiar with, but I was like, hey, it's a nature center. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. It meets the criteria. If you guys want to do that, I'll send Sarah the link to that as well. And you can submit which nonprofits you'd like to see our products, profits of 20% go to. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You're keeping that in mind. I know we have shirts and ours are not environmentally friendly, but you got to pick and choose. No, but, and the money's still going towards a business that's focused on helping the environment. I mean, Andrew fought me on this. He's like, you should do like 10%. You should do 5%. And I'm like, but the environmental cost. And he's like, you're an environmental business that's helping people get out in nature and help the environment. I think you've offset the cost. I'm like, no. (laughs) So he asked Andrew, he'll still be grumpy about this. He really wanted it a lower number, but I, we're going to stick with the 20% for now. Who knows? It all depends on what the money's going towards. If the money is better for the environment being spent on eco also stuff, or if it's better going to this nonprofit that's doing stuff. And right now we're a pretty small business. We're local here in the Twin Cities. We're making an impact, helping people get outdoors here and then through our YouTube channel. But if I donate, say we have $500 of Equalsa profit this year that goes to helping the rainforest, that could be like 500 trees planted in the rainforest or maybe more. Like, you don't know. It could really go to a lot of great stuff that would have maybe a bigger impact, in my opinion. Well, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Totally. If you're planting all these trees when they're all just being knocked down over in those rainforests. Yeah. That's huge. Okay, so once again, if you guys want to get a hold of us at EcoElsa, uh, make sure to check out our website, EcoElsa.com, as well as we're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. And we also run the Etsy store. So if you want to check out some nature art, check that out. It's just EcoElsa shop. Um, If you head on over to our website and our shop, there'll be a link there to the Etsy store as well that you can check out. And just stay tuned for upcoming programs. If you are in the Twin Cities or if you're somewhere else, check out our virtual classes. I will hopefully be out pretty soon here. Or of course, YouTube where you can get all, all the free class type stuff. Or Facebook Live sometimes. Oh yeah, of course. I've been, we took a pause with everything that's been going on, but we will hopefully this week and next week be starting our free hike Friday virtual class again, since we haven't been able to do our normal in-person free hike Friday once a month. Yeah, those are fun to watch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wealth of knowledge about ticks and hopefully people won't be as scared to get out there. Yeah, that, that is the goal. I know I did talk a lot about horror stories, but what I really want to stress is I'm an outdoor person. I go out almost every single day in the summer and I'm out in the woods. I'm off trail. I'm on deer trails. And I just got the first tick last week in two years. And that's all thanks to wearing DEET, you know, bug spray, tucking my pants, tucking my shirt and making sure to check myself for ticks. That's all. That's really the core that you really need to do. Everything else is just extra and adds to your safety and prevention. Yeah, totally. I mean, first time in two years, and that's like me too. Last year I had them at St. Croix State Park, but it's really not all that often as a lot of people make it out to sound. And if you really, they bug you, just avoid the peak time, May and September. Awesome. Thanks so much, Elsa. Yeah, of course. We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. 
Use the code PODCAST and receive 10% off your first order. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.